Welcome to Healing the City Podcast. In the following episode, Jessica Dennis interviews Hannah Gomez. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Jessica Dennis, and I'm here with my friend Hannah Gomez. Hi. Thank you for having me. Um, so yeah, I'm Hannah Gomez. Um, I used to be a school librarian. I'm now a PhD candidate at the University of Arizona studying children's and young adult literature. Do you have an example of, and not to put you on the spot, but thinking of like one book that is, yeah, like what you were talking about, just how you said substantive. But yeah, just an example of a really good book that just allows a character to be a character. Ooh, there are so many, so many ways to look at that. Um, so another kind of set of term vocabulary terms um, that I could point people to um, that they use at Kirkus, which is one of the major um, review journals for librarians, educators, and booksellers. Um, where their reviewers can also like submit the book that they just reviewed to something called Kirkus Collections, which is about diversity. And Kirkus asks you to indicate whether the book um, is diverse for reasons of, I believe it's learning, identification, or inclusion, okay. which is the other reason we need lots of diverse books because there should be a ton with each of those things and certainly they overlap but to simplify it inclusion is just this book has like lots of diverse cast members whether it's like like i said there's tons of ways to be diverse race you know gender sexuality disability etc but this book just has tons of people from lots of backgrounds in it would be inclusion identification would be more you know like you absolutely cannot disentangle this person's character from their, again, their like ethnic identity, their disability, whatever. And then there's learning, which is books where that can't just not be disentangled, but it's actually a big part of the plot. So that would be closer to like issue books, which doesn't always have to be a pejorative, but um, obviously all of those things overlap in a lot of ways, but that's just a nice way of putting it simply, I think, is like, there are different ways to be diverse and it's great to have all of them. So you might have a picture book about, you know, little Sally's first day of school and the illustrator made sure that that class looks like super diverse. That would be inclusion. And that's awesome. Like, please give me. There's also, you know, a book about someone who's like, just really, you know, needs a date to prom, but you know, also a big part of, you know, their identity and the subplot and whatever has to do with the fact that I don't know, their family is on SNAP and they're struggling with homelessness or whatever. You know. And then there's, you could have a book about someone who is, their brother is shot by a police officer and there's a big riot and a protest. And whatever. So we need all kinds, lots of things overlap. Um, but I mean, I could give you good and bad books in all of those. Um, and I can send you some links to, to like articles I've written and stuff if people want to look. 
Um, but yeah, I think it's nice to keep in mind that a good book collection, again, whether it's bookstore, classroom, house, should have all three of those. There's you know, space for everything and we need everything. Can you repeat the three, what are the three things? I'm thinking of people, well, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, um, so it's learning, identification, and inclusion. Right. Yeah, and I think um, what, what I would run into a lot when I started talking to people about this, about diversity in children's books and, um, you know, just teaching their kids books in general, uh, a lot of people immediately ask me, like, well, where's a good book list and where can I find, like, really good books? And you probably get that all the time as okay. well. Um, so I guess the question is not, you know, where's a good book list and how do you recommend one? But I think, uh, the question is, should that be the question for people? Like, for, should you go search out a multicultural book list or like, is, is it more about doing your own research personally? Yeah, I think that's a good, I would have gone there too, which is why is that your question? And I think that also depends on, again, like what type of collection you're building. If you are a new parent and you don't work in like any sort of field where, you know, books really come into play, totally legit. You're probably overwhelmed because you have like this crying, pooping human and you're just trying to do a good job, which is true even if you work in books. But um, this is a question that really bothers me with teachers and librarians because I'm like, why... What was your education like that you, A, don't know how to find this on your own, and B, think this is an acceptable question, right? So yeah, I'm, my first question is, why don't you already read diversely? And it's not even, maybe it's a bit of an attack because I'm snarky like that, but it's also like a, please ask yourself this question. Like, right. is it because you seriously grew up in such a bubble that like you haven't heard of other stuff? Or is it just that you always pass things up because you assume you won't be interested and you know, maybe you can't articulate it immediately, but if you really got down to thinking about it, you'd be like, oh, well, I just kind of assumed because I saw the person on the cover and they didn't look like me. Yeah. First, why don't you always read diversely? Answer that question for yourself. And I think then, you know, the first step is like, go to bookstores and libraries more often, which, I mean, we can't do that now, stupid COVID, but like, go, <laughs> you know, go online, read more yeah. book reviews. Work on Twitter, whatever. But yeah, like my first question is like, why don't you already read diversely? Mm -hmm. um, my more snarky answer is just like, if you only read one very specific type of book all the time, you're not actually a reader. I do not like, I do not accept anyone saying, yeah, I'm such a reader. I've read every mystery novel ever and nothing else. I'm like, no, then you are a person who likes mysteries. You're not a reader. That's like, it because I think, I don't know. I know some people that would very harshly disagree with that. <laughs> Because that mindset is everyone's a reader. Everyone's a reader. If you can read, you're a reader. But so that's a slightly different. So that's where we get to like the librarians kind of like code, which is two of our five tenets are every book its reader and every reader his book. So yes, any book you read, I hate the phrase at least they're reading. Any book that you're reading counts as reading. But if you're trying to like brag about how you read so much and like everything is like very narrowly the same, I'm gonna be like, wow, your mind must be like really dull. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't want to get to know you. You're so boring. Oh. <laughs> like there's just so much to read out. And maybe it's just because my mind like goes off on so many tangents, but I'm like, why would I only 
no matter how much I like this thing, like, why would I only want to read one type of thing forever? Like, that's like, I only want to eat cereal for the rest of my life. I love cereal, but like, had Thai is good too. <laughs> like, yeah, so it's not just about reading books with different people and p different lives on it. It's just reading just different genres, different ideas mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, and especially if you are responsible for kids, again, whether that's as a parent or a teacher or whatever else, it's your job. Like, your reading is not just about you, mm -hmm. especially because these jobs are not ones that, like, pay a lot or pay you to read while on the job, which means it's your unpaid professional development, and we all deserve to get paid more, but, like, sorry, but sometimes you need to put down a book that you're interested in and pick one up that you're like, oh, I don't think I'm interested, but you know, little Jimmy in my class, like just, he loves ghosts and this has a ghost in it. So I figured I'd give it a try, you know? Right. And that's another thing. Listen to recommendations kids give you. Aw. It is so, I mean, one of the best things about being a librarian was like, you know, the kids would come in and be like, oh my God, this book. And I would be like, oh my God, I know. And I was not acting. Cause I legit <laughs> was like, I know I read it too. And I can't believe it. Like, talk to kids about it's so much fun and recommend books back and forth like oh there's just, there's there's so many good books out there <laughs> like, well, I remember feeling that way about the hunger games which i don't know how i feel about the book i loved the series so much oh good when it came out yeah but here's the thing like i think i was in my third year teaching by that point Mm -hmm. um, and I, or my second year, I don't know, but my first year I was a reading teacher and I didn't read any books for fun that year. And granted it was my first year teaching. I didn't have time. I was working like 80, 90 hour weeks. Right. But I like, I felt that I became a better teacher once I got into books again. Like yeah. once I started reading again and I could tell my students like, yeah, oh my gosh, this is what happens in this book. You have to read it. Like, I could criticize characters with them and, and, like, talk about what I thought about, you know, whatever happened in the book. And that made it, that made the connection so much more special than you need to read because if you read two books, you get 100. And by the end of the year, you need to read six books or whatever. Like, it just yeah. made it so much more, so much more authentic. Like read because it's enjoyable to learn and to like gain this new information but also to like visit these new worlds and these lives like that's why we read we don't read because someone is forcing us or threatening to fail us because we're not going to read books right so, right yeah. yeah the second you make reading a punishment or a chore or yeah like a thing that you're going to tell other people to do like a do as i say not as i do thing like you have lost that person like you are responsible for making them not a reader. Yeah. I mean, harsh, but like you are. It's true. Some of the responsibility for making that person not a reader. If you are in well, that gatekeeping position. And even if it's not a punishment, if it's just like, if you leave reading to something you do at school only, like you have, you read for school and they never see you read. And I'm talking as a parent, like if they never see you reading for fun, then reading is not something that you do in the household. And so, like you said, it's not just about reading one type of thing, but you're really modeling every single time you read. This is what you do in life. And it's important. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, yeah, like a lot of times people, you know, I'll be like, oh, 
just in a random conversation at dinner or whatever. And I can be like, oh, no, actually, that was in 1964. Or like, random facts, right? Like when you can just spout a factoid, and you would get the question right on Jeopardy. And people are like, well, sorry, I don't just like study things all the time. And I'm like, I don't study things. I've just read a book ever. And <laughs> mentioned, how do I know when Kennedy was shot? Because there's a Stephen King novel, and the date of Kennedy's assassination <laughs> is the title. And that's what you hold on to. So, like, did I actively retain that information? No, but I, like, look around and exist in the world, so I know some things. Pretty much everything I know about history that I've retained, I got from a book that was probably historical fiction. I mean, you'd be surprised how many little, I mean, look, my book that comes out in August, you don't have to read a science book about a volcano, but you will learn the accurate name for, like, a flow of lava. It's not a flow of lava, it's a lahar. So, like, there you go. That gave you some information. And, you know, you're not going to have to read a science book for that. You can read my novel. So. Right. <laughs> Which will be more fun than reading a science book. But. Exactly. Like, it's amazing how much you can retain because you were sincerely, like, just yeah. along for the ride versus, like, I just have to read this thing for this assignment. So, I guess I'll, like... Yeah. Well, I thought of that because I just saw Hamilton for the first time ever when it got released on Disney+. Plus. The whole time I'm watching it, I only, I've only seen it once, but there's going to be all these high school students who are like acing their AP history exam because now there's this thing out there that's like teaching them this information and it's fun and it's interesting and engaging. So Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like what in what other generation would you have seen a bunch of like 16 year olds walking around with 500 page Hamilton biographies? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, you see that all the time, like the, the success of the first Jurassic Park movie, like is what convinced people to like fund paleontology departments at university. Oh my gosh. What prompted a bunch of publishers to buy dinosaur books and what prompted a bunch of kids to like be interested in dinosaurs. Was the information accurate? No, T-Rex was not a predator. It was a scavenger. But like... You know that. Yeah. Well, I used to have to teach that when I worked at the Children's Museum and I had a whole <laughs> physical routine that I did. But yeah, like it's amazing what little things can really inspire people to all of a sudden want to learn more, whether it's formally or just, I want to read another book about this time period or this subject or whatever. So... Yeah, just, like, read because then you know stuff. And yeah. I, I like knowing stuff. <laughs> the joke is we become librarians because we want to be experts at everything. <laughs> so. Well, that's the quote. Read because then you know stuff. I like that. Yeah. Okay, so here's the last... The, we're kind of switching gears here to the other part, the other thing that you're heavily interested in, um, which is social media. And... Uh, you've referenced some of it, like uh, Twitter and things like that, and some of the voices that are out there. So especially given current events, like given what's happening right now with racial injustice and um, protests and people speaking out a lot more, uh, people are finding themselves searching for voices to follow on social media and they're looking for guidance. So how would you suggest people diversify who they're following and what you're following uh, so that they can understand what's going on. Oh, I love that question. Another one of my little catchphrases is, I have 10 stamps in my passport and Twitter is my favorite place on earth. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not always true. Sometimes it's terrible and you should take time off for your mental health, but it is wonderful. Um, I mean, we wouldn't have Black Lives Matter without it. Like, people like to 
talk smack about Twitter. And certainly if all you ever do is like go on Twitter, you can't fully say like, I'm an activist, but that's where that started. And I remember one night, like just, you know, kind of scrolling through Twitter mindlessly, all of a sudden someone's posting this picture and they're like, I see this out my window. And then I see someone else retweeting that, that person and then adding their own thing. Charlottesville was happening. I would not have known for 12 hours, but instead I was on Twitter just kind of hanging out with my friends and all of a sudden this terrifying stuff is coming out. So, I mean, and if you look at like hurricane management and I remember when Sandy Hook happened, I was just perusing Twitter for work. Like I have so much, I have so much disrespect for a lot of like the internal stuff at Twitter, but also so much respect for how it really has allowed people to share information and share emergency information in ways we never could before. Um, and for the ways that marginalized people have been able to organize, whether it's for something like Black Lives Matter or just simply, you know, I live in a really small town and nobody else is Korean. And now I have, you know, all of these Korean friends that I can, you know, talk to. Yeah. Um, so it really is a great tool for like finding your people, first of all. Um, and for emergencies. And then, um, yeah, especially if you're into children's and young adult literature, like it is a very vibrant community and one where a lot of people of color, a lot of queer people, a lot of disabled people are really comfortable speaking up, even though, which is not to say they don't get attacked and doxxed and bullied every day, because we do, but it is a place where we like kind of maintain a strong presence. So I think for people who are like brand new, um, I usually go with, like, if you honestly have no idea, you know, who to follow or where to go, look at the books on your shelf or that you most recently got from the library, look up those authors, see if they're on Twitter, look up the publishers, start following the publishers, because then publishers will, you know, retweet, you know, Jane Doe's post about how her book comes out next week, and here's a contest to win a copy, and kind of it's a following breadcrumbs thing I think and it definitely takes a while to like get used to how Twitter works and to even feel comfortable like writing a tweet but that's the thing is that it's a public forum and nobody cares if you're not tweeting if you're just there to like listen and read that's cool that's yeah. a problem if you never tweet and then you just go bully someone someday but and you're just like a nobody on Twitter who has said nothing right. one time when you attacked a person but if, like, all you want to do is, like, read people's thoughts and click on links, then cool. You, you only need to be a member of Twitter in, like, the very literal, like, you need to have a username and password way. But you don't – it's not Facebook where you have to be a mutual friend to see what a person is posting. You can just follow anybody you think is interesting. Wow. So following the breadcrumbs of this person keeps posting stuff – about or from this person. So maybe I should like follow back and follow that person, see who they're you know, reading. Um, so I think that's the most organic way to do it. Um, definitely next time you're at the library, ask you know, the librarian. Mm -hmm. Librarians are all on Twitter. At least all the youth and children's librarians of under 45, I would say, are on Twitter. You're convincing me because I I'm that person that I think I have like one tweet total and it was like a retweet and I opened my account like 2010 or something like that. <laughs> um, but I'm on I'm on Instagram more than any of them. But that's how like I found my friend reposted something and then I followed that person and then saw what they were posting and who they were reposting, and mm -hmm. then 
you just it's really easy to find similar mindsets of that which also i realized um especially for me that like i i was getting very much like one side of the story and i, I for some reason i i looked at this other account that was posting things that I would never see and I would I didn't even think people thought this way and I won't say what they were but it was just oh like this exists in the world too and so I think thinking about what you're following but also being aware of I think it could be really easy to get into this bubble of like where you're all kind of repeating and affirming your ideas uh, without realizing that there's all these oppositions out there absolutely and I think there you have to kind of be both humble but full of self-care to be like there's toxic people I disagree with and then there's people who like we agree on one thing but then disagree on this other thing and that's probably a good reason to follow them I mean right someone who like doesn't believe that I have like value as a human being like certain political figures or something I'm not gonna I mean it's actually harmful to me. But if there's someone, I mean, I have plenty of like Twitter friends or follows who I'm like, oh God, you're talking about this again. I still don't disagree, but I'm going to read anyway. Okay. <laughs> you know, and then t- on Tuesday, we're going to be like, oh my God, I totally agree on this thing. We're friends. Like, so yeah, it is a really great place for that. And one nice thing is that, you know, since 2010, there have been software updates. <laughs> and now your homepage won't just show you like what a person is tweeting off their main page, but sometimes, and I don't know enough about like what the actual algorithms are for choosing this, but like it'll show you the middle of a conversation. Oh. And it starts to, I think, you know, just sort of learn what you're interested in. So all of a sudden you'll see people maybe disagreeing or at least, or just agreeing, but you've never heard of this other person. So you're seeing now more content, especially, you know, from like not necessarily famous or big accounts. Um, And all of a sudden, yeah, you have like new disagreements, even if you don't want to insert yourself, you can be like, oh, wow, like I see their point here. I totally disagree. I see their point here. I agree, but I don't agree, you know. Yeah. Um, So it's nice because you don't just see the top level stuff, but you'll see some replies and that gives you even more perspectives and just more people to follow. Um, So yeah, it's such a wonderful tool. And it's like I said, it's where Black Lives Matter started. It's where people found out about Sandy Hook and Hurricane Sandy and Charlottesville. And as far as children's literature, like that is where we need diverse books starts and that in 2014 was a monumental hashtag and movement that is now a full-on, you know, 501c3 that hands out grants and publishes anthologies and, like, is a major player. And that started with hashtag we need diverse books because and people saying, you know, whatever it was. Um, So, yeah, especially for literature, but also just in general, Twitter's you need to take breaks sometimes, but it really, it's such a great way to get to know people that you literally would not have access to otherwise without having to like make formal friendships with them. Right. Well, and just, just so for anyone that's listening, that was, we need diverse books and that is the movement. That's the organization. Definitely something to go look into because that's, if you're still, if after listening to this, people are like, well, I still don't understand. Well, then just, just go look at that. And Absolutely. And they have book lists. And yeah. what's 
this is, I don't know if they're still doing it. Um, I worked with them for a while. So at least for five years, I would say every summer they would do the summer reading series, which is read-alikes. So if you liked this, you'll like this. Oh, and the yeah. point was, here are some very popular mainstream books that are about kind of mainstream identities, non-marginalized identities. And here is a book that you would probably love, whether it's because of content or genre or theme or kind of voice or, you know, type of character, whatever. But also it just happens to like, have gay dads or like a little black girl at the center instead of a white girl or an immigrant or whatever. So it's a really wonderful way of, A, just like providing marginalized authors with more readers, but also with helping people who, and we could argue about whether they should like be allowed to feel uncomfortable, but who are uncomfortable with perhaps broadening their reading horizons or just legit have like no idea where to start. It's a really nice way of having this sort of like pre-vetted book where you're like, okay, I mean, you're a bunch of qualified people. And if you say that I loved this book, which I do, I'll probably like this one, then sure. Like it's worth going to the library. Um, and if you're not still doing it, I know like it all exists on the internet for, you know, in perpetuity. So it's totally easy to find past, um, past summer's worth. And it's... You've been listening to Healing the City podcast with Jessica Dennis. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter.